The following message comes to you from the pulpit of Zion Primitive Baptist Church in Zion, Alabama. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com. Welcome to the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. This podcast is an outreach of Zion Primitive Baptist Church located in the Zion community near Gordo, Alabama. I'm Elder Chris McCoon. I serve as pastor of Zion Church. We're a congregation of believers who trust in the simple message of God's sovereign grace, where families come together to worship God in spirit and in truth through the simplicity of preaching, praying, and singing. Zion Primitive Baptist Church is located at 9487 County Road 49, Gordo, Alabama. If you live in the Gordo area or if you are visiting in the area, please join us for worship. We meet every Sunday at 1030 a.m. and 5 p.m. and on the first and third Wednesday evenings at 630 p.m. Yesterday, we began looking at Hebrews chapter 1 and verse 4, which says that Jesus was made so much better than the angels, and Hebrews chapter 2 and verse 7, where it said that he was made a little lower than the angels. Today, we continue this same topic, trying to reconcile these two scriptures that appear to contradict on their face. But as we began to see yesterday, there's no contradiction. Jesus Christ indeed was so much greater than the angels in every way except one. And today we're going to see the one way that he was made a little lower than the angels. And my friends, it's a glorious truth that ought to thrill the heart of every child of God. Because by becoming just a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death, Jesus Christ was able to put away the sins of his people for all eternity. But first, we have a song selection that I hope you enjoy. After the song, please stay tuned for another message of God's sovereign grace from the Zion Primitive Baptist Church pulpit.
He is truly God and all the angels of God worship him. Look at verse 6. Look at verse 6 in Hebrews 1. He, he saith in about middle of that verse, and let all the angels of God worship him. You can turn back sometime to, for, to the sixth chapter of Isaiah. And you'll read about the year that King Uzziah died and how that God gave Isaiah a vision. It's like he parted the curtains of heaven to give him just a quick vision of what's going on in heaven. It said he saw the Lord sitting up on a throne, high and lifted up. His train filled the temple. And here's what else it said in verse 2, I believe it is. Above it stood the seraphims. Each one had six wings. With twain he covered his face. With twain he covered his feet. With twain he did fly. And one cried unto another and said, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord of hosts. The whole earth is full of his glory. You know what the angels are doing up in heaven? Up in heaven, they're praising God. They're worshiping him. Look with me quite quickly over to Revelation chapter 4, I believe it is. Over in Revelation chapter 4, it's the first time we really start getting a vision of heaven that's given to John. And in Revelation chapter 4 and verse 6, we're told that uh, he's, he's given us a vision of the throne room of God. He said, before the throne, there was a sea of glass like unto crystal in the midst of the throne. And around about the throne were four beasts full of eyes before and behind. Kind of sounds like those seraphim that I described from Isaiah chapter 6, doesn't it? The angels of heaven, you see. And the first beast was like a lion, the second like a calf, the third like a, had the face of a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. And the four beasts, had, each of them had six wings, they were full of eyes. And listen to this, they rest not day and night, saying, Holy, 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 Lord God Almighty, which was and is and is to come. <laughs> you know, I, I don't want to go too far down this rabbit trail, Brother Craig, but, but you know, there's no time passing in heaven. It's all one eternal day. I'm not so sure that all these visions aren't a vision of the very same moment, the very same thing. I guess moments aren't really what you can talk about in heaven. But I can almost see the curtain pulled back over here, and there's Isaiah looking, and the curtain pulled back over here is John looking, and the curtain pulled back over there is Ezekiel looking, and just kind of all seeing the same thing and describing it from a different, a different perspective. But you see, the angels worship him. Because all power is given unto him. What does he say in Matthew chapter 28 and verse 18? Jesus came and spake to them saying, all power, not some power. Not all power except the power you have to accept or reject me. He didn't say that, did he? All power is given me in heaven and in earth. And he goes on to tell them but based on that. You know, that's the basis for the commission of the gospel, the preaching of the gospel. That's the, you, know, you know why we should preach the gospel? People say, well, I, if I believe the way you did, I wouldn't preach the gospel. Listen, beloved, believing the way we do is the primary reason to preach the gospel. Because he does have all power. You know, I, I, I don't know, I just don't know how I could do it if I, if I had no idea if anybody out there would ever listen to me or, or would ever be a child of God. If I wondered that everybody out there weren't children of God, I'd just be struggling all the time, Brother Craig. I just, I don't know what I'd do. But see, as it is, I know God has a people out there. I know there's sheep out there on the mountainside, and I know that some of them are going to listen. I, they're not all going to hear all the truth and believe all the truth, but God is going to take care of their hearts, and it's my job to get to their minds, you see. And to fill their minds with this doctrine, this teaching, this good news of the gospel that will line right up with their hearts, by the way. <laughs> I'll tell you, beloved, I've seen, I've seen people that have never been in church, that have 
clearly uh, had an experience of grace at some time in their life because when they come down to the church, they don't come down here and get born again. They come down here and because they've been born again, they identify with it. Let me just flip with me back over to 1 Corinthians just for a minute. I, I love this account over here in 1 Corinthians chapter, uh, chapter 14 and verse 23. And listen, to you know, he's talking primarily about tongues in this chapter, but he gives us, an, uh, he gives us a little glimpse into what can happen when we preach. What can happen when we preach the truth of God's grace? He says in verse 23, 1 Corinthians 14, 23, If therefore the whole church be come together into one place and all speak with tongues and there come in those that are unlearned or unbelievers, will they not say you're mad? So, you know, they had these gifts of speaking in tongues and that was a gift given to the apostolic church age and, and they needed it in that day. But, but he says, you know, when people come in uh, and they hear all this various talking going on, and by the way, it's not babbling, it's, it's different languages, uh, then uh, they're going to just say you're mad. But he's, he's telling us here that prophesying or preaching is the, is the primary thing that we're to do. And he says in verse 24, but if I'll prophesy, in other words, if the preachers preach and there come in that one that believeth not or one unlearned, he is convinced of all, he is judged of all, not talking about convinced and judged by the congregation, but of the words that are being preached by the preacher. And thus are the secrets of his heart made manifest. And so falling down on his face, he will worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. Now, by the way, this is a different kind of unbeliever than someone who's a reprobate. This is someone who hasn't heard the truth of the gospel. This is someone whose heart is already tendered by the Holy Spirit, but he just hadn't heard what's happened to him. But he says when he hears it in the right circumstances, when the, when the Lord is present and the Spirit is moving and the preaching is in power and demonstration of the Spirit, he said the secrets of his heart will be manifest. And he'll, he'll fall down on his face and he'll worship God and report that God is in you of a truth. In other words, he'll say, man, I get that. That identifies, that lines up with what I feel in my heart. That, I get that I'm a sinner and I, I need to be saved, but I've been saved by a Savior who did it all. <laughs> that's, that's what the gospel preaching is all about. <laughs> you see, based on the fact that all power is given to him, we ought to go out and preach the more zealously. Because we know they may not all hear, but some will. <laughs> some will. Now, in verse 8, as we try to wrap this up pretty soon here, of Hebrews chapter 1, notice that it's not just his position that makes him better than the angels, but it's also his purity, his purity. But under the sun, he saith, thy throne, O God, is forever and ever a scepter of righteousness, is the scepter of thy kingdom. Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God, even thy God, hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. You know, the nature of God is that he is holy, holy, holy. And therefore, the nature of Christ is that he is holy, holy, holy. Because Jesus is God. Now, what about the angels? You said, well, they're holy. Well... Yeah, they are, for the most part. But Job 4 and 18 tells us he put no trust in his servants, and his angels he charged with folly. Did you know there was a contingent of angels that followed Satan into his prideful attempt to overthrow the government of heaven, if you will, and were cast out of heaven? The angels fell. Angels. We're told that there's a hell prepared for the devil and his angels 
some of these created beings that yes, many are holy and cry out and worship God in holiness, but even they are not to be compared to the Lord Jesus Christ. Even they slipped into, they fell in sin when Satan fell, some of them did. But you see, our Lord is righteous. A scepter of righteousness is in his hand. That means he rules and reigns in righteousness. He never gets it wrong. You know, I'm a judge. You know that. I serve on a court that we have to review what's happening down below us in the trial court. And sometimes the trial court gets it wrong. Sometimes we have to reverse those decisions and convictions and send them back and tell them to do it over again because you got it wrong. There's no court of appeals in the, in the courtroom of heaven. <laughs> There's no need for it because every judgment that the Lord Jesus Christ makes is just and right. You know, I love the fact that he's not just theoretically righteous. He is righteous in the implementation of his justice and judgment. He is righteous in his actions. You remember what uh, Genesis 18 and verse 25 over there when when I believe it was the Lord Jesus Christ appearing to Abraham and the Lord himself telling him, I'm fixing to go down to Sodom and I'm fixing to destroy Sodom because of the wickedness of that city. And Abraham begins to negotiate with him for the life of, of Lot. And, and he asked him a rhetorical question. He wasn't doing it to challenge him. He was just stating the fact. He said, shall not the judge of all the earth do right? Do right. Shall not the judge of all the earth do right? You see. I was told this one time early on in my prosecution career, especially when you start looking at public corruption and people in power that are doing things, sometimes they'll justify what they're doing by saying that, well, the outcome will be right. I, I, you know, the end justifies the means. And I had an older prosecutor tell me one time, he said, you know how you can tell the good guys from the bad guys? He said, the good guys do right. <laughs> it's not the outcomes, it's what they do. And I can tell you this, we can tell that our God is God because he does right. He is the judge of all the earth and he does right. He is pure. His power is exercised in righteousness. You know, an all-powerful being would be scary if he wasn't also righteous, wouldn't he? If he wasn't also good, we'd be terrified of him. But he says, Thou hast loved righteousness and hated iniquity. Therefore God hath anointed thee with the oil of gladness above thy fellows. Even the angels are not as righteous as the Lord Jesus Christ. He's also much better than the angels because of his power. Look at verse 10. Thou, Lord, in the beginning hast laid the foundation of the earth, and the heavens are the works of thine hands. If I was going to just lay out some characteristics that would help me to figure out if somebody was God or not. You know, I'd get to thinking about, well, goodness and righteousness and all. But I think the primary thing that I would look to see is, and that would identify God to me is, can he create? Is he creator? You remember the tale about the man that said, God, I can create a man as good as you can. And God said, okay, let's have a contest. So they got together and God went first and he scooped up some dirt and he formed it up into a man and then he breathed life into him and he said, there you go. He said, okay, it's your turn. So the man goes over there next to where God was and he reaches down and starts scooping up the dirt and God said, whoa, whoa, whoa now, you get your own dirt. <laughs> you see, we think about people being creators and inventors and creating things, but they don't create things out of nothing. 
This building, this building was a masterful work by a good carpenter, but he didn't create it out of nothing. He took the materials that were already there. He didn't put the atoms together to form the wood, and he didn't put the, uh, you know, men today are splitting atoms and creating energy, but they hadn't figured out yet how to put atoms together to create a fusion reaction, you know? <laughs> you know why? Because we're not creators. God is the creator. Notice it said here, Thou, Lord, in the beginning laid the foundation of the earth. Elsewhere you read that the angels themselves, the sons of the morning, were created by God. He is the creator God. His power separates him from the angels. Now, I realize angels are powerful. You know, one angel slew 185,000 Assyrians over there in 2 Kings chapter 19. That's a powerful angel. That's a powerful creature, but no power. There's no power like the power of creation, like the power of our God. By the way, verse 12 tells us that, 11 and 12 tell us that God himself is going to outlast the creation. He was here before the creation, and he's going to outlast it. So there's going to be a time when as a vesture, he'll fold it up. And I tell you, Craig, I'm ready for that. As far as I'm concerned, he could do it right now. I'm ready to see him. I'm ready to be taken home. And ultimately, he's much better than the angels in his purpose. Notice his purpose, verse 13. But to which of the angels said he at any time, sit on my right hand until I make thine enemies thy footstool? Now, I, I don't know if we sometimes, I've read this verse many times, but my heart didn't leap when I read it like it leaped in the last couple of days when I read it. Notice what he says here. He says, you're going to sit right here on my right hand until I make your enemies your footstool. You're going to put your feet on the head of your enemies. You know, I preached not too many Sunday nights ago, two or three, from Hebrews chapter 2 and verses 8 and 9 where it talks about putting all things in subjection under his feet, but now we see not yet all things put under him. But it goes on. It doesn't leave us there. It doesn't leave us hanging, Brother Mackey. It, it says, but we see Jesus. But we see Jesus. I don't, in my experience, see in my circumstances that all things are put under his feet. I went to a funeral yesterday, as I've already told you, of a 20-year-old young man who died in the prime of his life. I don't, let me just share this with you. I don't know if you have the same experience as I do when you hear of something tragic like that. When I was told about this young man's passing last Monday night, the first emotion that welled up within me was not grief or sympathy or sorrow. The first emotion that rose up within me was anger. Anger. It just like my heart clenched and I wanted to, I clenched my fists, I think, and just, just angry to hear this. And, and I thought to myself, am I sinning by this? But you know, I don't believe I was sinning, Brother Craig. I, I read in the 11th chapter of John, 38th verse, that when Jesus came to the tomb of Lazarus, he groaned in his spirit. And that word groan literally means to snort in anger. You know why he snorted in anger, I believe? Because he was coming face to face with the great enemy death. What is it that we fear the most in life? 
Yes, we may fear getting sick. We may fear uh, losing money. We may fear all these things. But what we most fear in life is dying or death in the, in the, in the life. You know, our, one of our family members dying, losing someone to death is the thing that we fear the most. And it is a hateful thing. I've said many times at funerals, I hate death, but I'm in good company because the Lord Jesus Christ hated it so much that he put it to death. His purpose is that he will one day put his foot on the head of death and it will, his enemy will be his footstool. Over in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, you can read about that, how that the last enemy to be put down is death. <laughs> That's the purpose. His purpose is so much greater than the angels. The angel's purpose is to go out and do his bidding. But the Lord Jesus Christ's purpose is to put death to death. Which brings us to chapter 2 and verse 7. Thou hast made him a little lower than the angels. So what, what gives, preacher? Wait a minute. You just told us about all the ways he's greater than the angels. But now he says he's a little lower than the angels. Well, I tell you, beloved, he's so much greater than the angels that he was willing to become a little lower than the angels. And it's in one particular regard, not in power, not in purity, not in position, and certainly not in purpose, but it goes back to that purpose. His purpose is to make all the enemies his footstool, and the only way he could do that, in verse 9, was to be made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. For the suffering of death. Is he seated there on the right hand of the Father before the cross, before the incarnation, before he was born into this world? He appeared sometimes to men. He talked to Abraham. He talked to others. But in that form, I mean, Bear with me. I'm, I'm going to try to say this as best I can and not get it wrong. And you correct me later if I get it wrong. But in that form, in that position, he couldn't do anything about sin. Okay? He, he, he could judge sin. He could do something about it. He could, he could pour out his wrath upon sin. But he could not put away sin because the truth of the matter is it's not that God couldn't do it. It's that man couldn't do it. Man could not put away sin. Only a perfect man living a perfect life down here among us on this sin-cursed ball of dirt could put away sin. And this is how he could do it. By taking on him not the nature of angels, but the seed of Abraham, verse 16. And by doing that, he was made just a little lower than the angels in that he could die where the angels could not. He subjected himself to death in order that he might fulfill the purpose which was greater than the purpose of all the angels put together, which is to save his people from their sins. We see Jesus, verse 9, who was made a little lower than the angels for the suffering of death. Now, wait a minute, you don't, you're not telling me it's that a God died that day. Well, we know God cannot die, but we also know that the Lord Jesus Christ was fully God and yet fully man, and as such, he could die. 
but he couldn't stay in the grave. <laughs> he could die, he could be buried, but he couldn't stay there. Third day, he came out. Raised again for our justification. And it says, for as much then as the children are partakers of flesh and blood, he also himself likewise took part of the same, that through death he might destroy him that had the power of death, that is the devil, and deliver them who through fear of death were all their lifetime subject to bondage. Beloved, in all things we're told it behooved him to be made like unto his brethren, that he might put away our sins and be a merciful and faithful high priest in things pertaining to God to make reconciliation for the sins of the people. <laughs> so much better than and a little lower than. And therein lies the glory of the salvation that's found only in the Lord Jesus Christ. Thank you for joining us today on the Zion Primitive Baptist Church podcast. I hope the message has been uplifting and beneficial to you and that the Lord will continue to bless you to grow in grace and knowledge of the truth. Join us again tomorrow for another message of God's sovereign grace. If you would like to subscribe to our website, please go to www.zionpbc.com and sign up for email updates. If you have any questions, please feel free to contact the church at zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. That's zionpbc1847 at gmail.com. Or you can email me directly at jchrismccool at gmail.com. That's the letter J-C-H-R-I-S-M-C-C-O-O-L at gmail.com. Again, thank you for listening. May the Lord bless you is my prayer. We thank you for listening to today's message. For more information, please visit us online at zionpbc.com.